This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. So we are in the second week of a series that we've called Life Support. Now, Life Support is designed for us because... There's many of us that just, if we're just just honest, if I'm just going to be raw about life right now, I've I've got some things that I got to work through, right? There's some issues that have been going on, and and I need some help navigating them. And we are never, any of us, going to reach the moment where we're going to be perfect. God never kind of lets us go with that one, right? He never just says, all right, you're off the hook because you're not going to be perfect. He wants us to continue to pursue health and to long to be the person that he actually created us to be. And so uh, we began life support last week by looking at the things that were in our lives that had possibly gotten into critical condition. And today I want to begin by looking at Proverbs 4.23. Look at this with me. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your what? Your heart. Right? Above Above everything else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. The heart's important, folks. How many of y'all know that? The heart's important. I mean, like just in a physical reality, your heart is important, right? Because it's beating and sending blood and nutrients and oxygen all over my body. It is the life way that flows throughout our, you know, biological system. It's, it's what keeps us going. The heart is important. And, and in this verse, the Bible tells us something that's, it kind of redefines what the heart is for us. It, it it does that because we're a little confused about that normally. Uh, what we think about the heart is that we think the heart creates emotions, especially love, right? That's why when it comes Valentine's Day, we do not take circle-shaped boxes of chocolates to our wives, right? It's not Occasionally you might get the square box, but right, it's heart-shaped boxes. That's why we buy Valentine's Day cards and there's hearts all over them. Because really culturally, we think about the heart as the center of emotions. It's where my love for you comes from. It's where God speaks to me in. But the Bible tells us something different about the heart. The Bible tells us that the heart creates flow. Guard your heart above all else because everything you do will flow from it. It's important to have a healthy heart, isn't it? And that's why all of you were on the treadmill this week, right? Right, that's why all of you were busting it out on the elliptical 
all week long, five days a week, right? Yeah, because it's, an, it's important to have a healthy heart. We, we know that physically. Okay, let's just examine for a moment really what heart disease is, right? Just in an in a old country boy's way of looking at it, all right? We eat the wrong stuff that contains the wrong stuff, right? We eat foods that are filled with fat and cholesterol and all that stuff. So what happens when we eat the wrong foods with the wrong stuff? The wrong stuff gets inside of us. And then it finds a way into our bloodstream and it will begin to attach itself to the linings of arteries and over time the flow of that artery will be restricted to the point that maybe it even closes. That's when we have heart attacks and that's when you're in some pretty serious situation right there, right? That's not, that's not good. A healthy life, a healthy relationship with Jesus will always flow from a healthy heart. A healthy relationship with Jesus is always going to flow from a healthy heart. And for too many of us, we're actually dealing with blockages in our hearts. Now, I'm not talking about everybody's going to drop dead from a heart attack because y'all been eating Krispy Kremes, right? I'm talking about something deeper, something more spiritual, something that is concerning the heart that in Proverbs 4.23, the Bible tells us, is creating a flow in our lives. So what creates a blockage? What is the thing that is in our life that we can allow to come in and, and much like the same way we ingest the wrong thing, we experience the wrong things? What are the things that create blockages in our lives? The first thing that I would tell you is perceived hurts or offenses. Perceived hurts or offenses. How many of y'all have ever been hurt by somebody that didn't, they didn't even mean to hurt you? That ever happened? Five of you over here. This is the very sensitive side of the room right here. Right here. How many of y'all know it doesn't take you actually doing the wrong thing to offend somebody? It doesn't. It doesn't even take you doing the wrong thing for someone to think that you have done the wrong thing. This is one of my preacher friends shared this story with me not too long ago. I think this is awesome. His, his kids were using the fact that they were the pastor's kid to just run amok in the children's ministry. And, and they would go from room to room. And at that time, they were running an incentive program. And they would go from room to room and tell them that they were the pastor's kids. And they, they kind of used that to finagle people out of more candy. Right? And, and the pastor found out about it. You know, my friend found out about it. He was upset. He was mad. And so he told his wife, go, go deal with this. I'm so mad. I can't even deal with them right now. You take them, sit them down, tell them that they can't do that. We don't want them ever to use the fact that they're a pastor's kid to gain. We, we're there to serve. We're not any better than anybody else. And so his wife uh, got his son and sat him down and said, hey, now we know what you've been doing. 
You've been telling everybody you're the pastor's kid. You've been t- using that to get a little bit more candy. We know. All right. So here is what I'm going to tell you. When you are at church, you are not the pastor's son. You're not the pastor's son. When you're, you're just like everybody else. You're like every, you are not going to be treated special. You're not going to be treated any different. So the week kind of rolled around and the next Sunday came. Little boy went into his room and, you know, kind of like a whip puppy. He was, he knew, he knew he'd been beat and the game was over. And the teacher who had grown used to him, you know, kind of coming up saying, Pastor, son, you know, can you give me some more candy? You know, that, that kid came over and said, well, hey, aren't you the pastor's son? And he said, teacher, I thought I was, but my mom said I'm not. (laughs) Y'all know, sometimes it's the way we look at something, right? All messed up. And it doesn't take somebody doing something wrong (laughs) to offend us. Sometimes it's just our perception of the way that things were handled, the way that something went down, the way that something was said, the inflection in a voice to just be hurt. The second thing that I would tell you that can create a blockage is sin. Our sin and other people's sin. Our sin and other people's sin can create a blockage in our heart. I mean, really, the real answer is this, and I think that there's a blank for you to write this down. What creates a blockage in our heart is this, refusing to release something that we need to let go of. Isn't that what happens in our heart? When a blockage is created, something that needed to pass through has now started to stick. In our hearts, not just our pumping hearts in our chest, but our hearts, our spiritual hearts get sick when they have a blockage. Because they were created to flow. The Bible tells us that they were created to be the source from which life flows. And so if we have a blockage, we have a problem. Bitterness is a blockage that stops a healthy heart. It stops a healthy flow from our hearts And it all starts with our inability to forgive other people. A bitter heart is an unhealthy heart. A heart that has not been able to forgive is going to experience some blockages. And I would like to look at a profound story that Jesus tells in Matthew 18. So one of them loaded questions that really in many ways we probably don't have the full background to what Peter was asking about. But at the beginning of Matthew 18, halfway through beginning in verse 21, Peter asks this question. 
Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, the problem with this is that he's actually correctly referring to rabbinical tradition that, that if someone has offended you, you, you're to forgive them. And, and, and that's understood. And, and he's saying, I know that the rabbis teach seven times. So if you lie to me and once, okay, I'll forgive you two times. We get to seven, I'm cutting you off. Like no more am I going to trust you. Right? There's this breaking point there. And so Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, Jesus is using a little number game, but essentially what Jesus is saying is that you put a number on it. Let me just kind of be silly and make it a lot larger. All right? No, it's not that simple. And he tells a story that I, I want to look at this today because I think that there are some keys to a healthy heart buried within this thing. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, y'all just think about that with me. If you're dad, father, and you're in debt, I mean, and just a good guy, maybe just trying to make ends meet, and you owe the king, and that's a, a pretty large amount of money, 10,000 talents. And he's brought before the king, and the king makes a decision. Now, I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell your wife. I'm going to sell your kids. I'm going to sell everything that you own to pay for the debt that you have. I'm going to tell you what, I'd go crazy. <laughs> I'd, I'd go crazy. And that's what this guy does, really. Um, the servant fell on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus is telling this story. This man, I mean, he is about to see his children put on an auction block and sold into slavery. And kneeling before the king begs, just give me some more time. Just give me another chance. I'll pay it all back. And the king looked on him and took pity, canceled the debt, and let him go. See, forgiveness is giving someone a pardon, canceling their debt to you, and removing the consequences of their sin. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. 
In other words, when someone sins against us, when someone offends us, when someone does something to us, there is in the economy of the world a consequence that typically should be associated with that. But forgiveness is looking and saying that debt is canceled. That debt is canceled. It doesn't stand anymore. Not only that, but here's a pardon. You're set free. You're no longer guilty of that thing. And all the things that should be consequences, everything that we should live in after all of that, all of that stuff, canceled. That's what forgiveness is. And many of us are dealing with hearts that are in critical condition because we have not been able to forgive. Especially to forgive. Not, not just, I'm not talking about that one time, yeah, I forgive you. And then you walk out and you're still filled with bitterness and anger and hurt and all of that stuff. You still want to see someone punished. I'm not talking about the words of I forgive you. I'm talking about the act of actually forgiving. And some of you might be facing someone and they might be the person that's pushed that boundary on the seven or 70 times seven. Whatever it is today, God wants us to remove that blockage of unforgiveness so that our hearts can create the right kind of flow and we can be healthy. Let's look at three motivations that I think we find in this story to be the kind of people that forgive freely. The first thing, the first motivation for us to forgive is the big debt of forgiveness that you've already had canceled. The big debt of forgiveness that you have already had canceled. Think about that with me. We've all been that servant kneeling before a king. We've all been in that same position where we've been looking at God going, I, I am nothing. I have blown all of this, everything. I've made mistakes in every area of my life, God. I don't even deserve it. And God has looked down on us through the power of the cross and said, that debt is canceled. Look at this, Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God, just as in Christ God forgave you. Think about that with me. The Bible's encouraging you to forgive other people, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because Jesus has forgiven you. There's already been a message of forgiveness. There's already been some forgiveness that's been received by us. Romans 4, 7 says this, Blessed are they whose sins are forgiven, 
whose sins are covered. Bless is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never, I mean, that's us. That's us. God's looked at our sin and said, debt canceled. You know what's interesting about that story? The man who was kneeling before the king, who has just been I mean, exonerated. He has his family back. All of that that the king has has just leveraged just because he took mercy on him. Walks out and into the streets. And he runs into another man who owed him money. And he becomes angry at this man. This man who owes him money. And he has this man arrested and jailed. I mean, the the moment after he has received such grace, he pursues such justice. And that brings me to the second motivation that we have to become people who are freely forgiving. The reason that we want to keep forgiving is that we want to keep forgiveness flowing in our own lives. We want to keep forgiveness flowing in our own lives. Have you ever prayed that prayer that we always pray at sports games? We call it the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. You ever stopped to think about that before? Forgive me my debts as I forgive those who have debts to me. Forgive me my trespasses as, those, as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. All of those different ways that we phrase it. That somehow there's this connection between the way that we forgive and the kind of forgiveness that we can experience from God. And we want to continually forgive because being the kind of people who forgive keeps forgiveness flowing. After the king in the story that Jesus is telling finds out that the man has behaved this way, He pulls him in, and in Matthew 18.33, we find this, the king speaking. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. There's something about the experience of touching forgiveness that should provoke us to forgive. The big debt has been canceled. But there's something about the flow of forgiveness that we want to keep going because I'm going to mess up. I'm going to blow it and I'm going to need some forgiveness. And if I'm not gracious, how are other people going to be gracious with me? And we see this in the story as Jesus tells it. Job said in 
Job 5.2. To worry yourself to death with resentment would be foolish. It would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. To be the person who has experienced legitimate hurt, failure. The person who has stood against obstacles and had life really flow in waves against you. To be that person and to carry unforgiveness is only going to lead to bitterness and resentment. And Job, who has had his share at that moment of resentment and and failure and everything that you could imagine from rising from the top to falling, Job says, what good does it care? It doesn't do any good to carry that resentment. It's foolish. It's foolish because what happens is it infects our heart. The third motivation that I see is that forgiveness given is forgiveness received. Jesus again in Matthew 6. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's hard, folks. That's hard because there are some of you. I mean, I've sat down with you and watched you weep as you shared the ways that this world has come against you and broken you. I mean, I know that some of your stories contain lives that have been filled with brokenness that you never asked for. You didn't do anything to earn it. But as Jesus teaches us about forgiveness, he tells us directly that if we expect to experience the grace and mercy of God, we have to also be the kind of people that give grace and mercy. If we expect to be the kind of people that experience the love of God, we have to be the kind of people that give love and forgiveness. If you won't forgive anyone else, really, have you really experienced the forgiveness that God wants to give you at all? Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Romans 12, 19. And I needed this one this week. Don't take revenge, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And that's our inclination. That's where our heart goes in this whole mess. Isn't it? You hurt me. And I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not going to forgive you. I don't want to forgive you. As a matter of fact, I want every consequence that I can enact on you to happen. I'm going to give you the cold shoulder this week. I'm not going to talk to you. Because you didn't make the bed two days in a row. I don't know if y'all have ever dealt with that one. (laughs) 
right? You didn't get the dishes done, so I ain't going to talk to you tonight, right? All of those kind of subtle things that we do, that we are putting consequences out there. God says, don't worry about being the kind of person that enacts the consequence. Be forgiving, because vengeance is his, Revenge is his. When someone wrongs you, we don't have to be the one to punish them. We don't have to be the one to look for their punishment because by God's grace and mercy, he takes care of us. And he's invited us to be forgiving. So let's get some life support in our heart when it comes to forgiveness. The first thing that we need to do is we need to admit our own sin. We need to admit our own sin. Oftentimes, one of the biggest barriers that exists between someone extending forgiveness and holding on to bitterness is the fact that they're not honest with themselves about how they failed other people. Husbands and wives, it's extremely important for you because there are going to be times that you're going to feel offended and sinned against. And if you hold on to that bitterness, it will affect the flow of love in that relationship. But if you will do step one and just back up and go, let me admit my own sin. Let me be the person that steps back and, I, you know what, I have, I have sinned too. I have failed too. It's not just you. It's not just been you. I've made mistakes in this. That leads us to the second thing, to do everything you can to bring healing to the situation. Do everything you can to bring healing to the situation. Now when we're honest about our own sin, the Bible tells us in 1 John 1.9 that if we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And when we're approaching someone else that needs to be forgiven, we need to realize that not forgiving someone is sinning. God has asked you to forgive them already. And oftentimes, that conversation just needs to open with this. Hey, you know, this happened. I know you didn't mean it to go down this way, but it hurt me. And I've been holding on to that, and that hasn't been fair to you. And that's why I haven't talked to you, and that's why I haven't done whatever we used to do. And I've ignored you, and, and that's my fault. So I want you to know that that thing that happened, I, I forgive you, but I'm here to ask your forgiveness because I've, I haven't handled it right either. And that leads to number three. Applying 
God's grace to your life. You see, when we have a conversation like that, what we've done is we've invited God's grace to come in and to become a part of the solution. Like I'm allowing God to forgive me for the sin that I've carried, but I'm also allowing God's grace to be made manifest in the failure of somebody else where I was hurt and wounded because continually refusing to forgive someone because you think it's going to punish them it's like swallowing poison and expecting that other person to die. It's not going to work. But God has given us grace through the cross of Jesus where he's invited us just like our great debt has been canceled to look at them and to say, you're forgiven. Let's pray. God, today as we are reminded again of the importance of a healthy heart, we don't want our hearts to become blocked up. We don't want them to become uh, static. We want them to flow, God. We want them to be the kind of hearts that are healthy, that establish a healthy relationship with you and with others. And because of that, God, today many of us realize that there are blockages that exist in our heart. And that blockage is just simply this, that we need to forgive somebody else. And so by God's mercy and grace, by your mercy and grace, God, we ask you to come today. And prompt us to forgiveness. Push us in the direction of leveraging all that we have to work towards restoration because God, you have forgiven us of so much. You've done everything that you could. So right now I'm going to ask an honest question and it's just this simple. Is there somebody that you know today that you need to forgive? Is there somebody that's hurt you, that's wounded you, that you have held on to that bitterness? You've held on to that. Is there somebody that you know, I need to forgive them? I need to let go of that. God has been so gracious and generous with me. If that's you right now, would you raise your hand? As a commitment to Jesus, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to them. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And maybe you're here today. And the idea that somebody would lay their pride aside and go to somebody and ask for forgiveness seems ludicrous because the idea of forgiveness seems so far away from you. Maybe today you need to experience God's grace for you. You need to know that God loves you. That he's given everything that he has so that that great debt that you have 
has been canceled. And maybe today there's some of you that are here today. And you look back and maybe recently and maybe in a distant past, there's failure that's there. And you haven't been able to experience God's grace in a way that let you live freely. And your heart has been sick because you've been carrying maybe not resentment towards somebody else, but maybe resentment towards what you've done. God would want you to know today that he wants you to be free of that. So if that's you and you're here today and you say, hey, I'm carrying a lot of guilt, but I want to experience the freedom and the grace of Jesus. Would you raise your hand right now? So God, for those of us that are here, to experience the forgiveness that you have asked us to step into, God, we humbly, humbly bow before you like that servant and ask for your mercy. Give us the strength to confess unforgiveness and to walk out of that and to remove the things that are blocking and stopping up our hearts. By your mercy, God, come and rescue us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.